Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. So here's a question. Which non-edible categories do you shop where you make choices around the ingredients and the products? Choosing your favourites based on something very akin to flavours, looking for either additive-free or organic perhaps, and even buying different versions of the product to cater for different members of your household? For me, there are quite a few parallels between how we shop food categories and personal care categories. After all, the products in personal care categories are about taking care of and nourishing and drawing experience from our bodies from the outside in. As when we buy food and beverage products, we're solving these needs from the inside out. Another really interesting parallel is that like food and bev startups, skin and hair care brands also increasingly try to develop their products from natural ingredients that you recognise from your kitchen cupboards. And more and more, they have a brand purpose that's centred on being kind to nature. They also often start their businesses at the kitchen table and then move on to farmer's markets. But oddly, compared to food and beverage categories, personal care is on the whole majorly dominated by the large, traditional, international brands that our grandmothers and mothers would recognise. Head & Shoulders, Radox, Palmolive, Dove are all the famous hairdresser hair care brands. And although there has been real change on the edges of the category for years, in the Whole Foods and the Holland & Barrett's, why aren't more of the local, natural, purpose-led brands not stealing share from big brands on the supermarket shelves? When you think about it, The same trends should be influencing us when we buy shampoo or soap as when we buy food. Naturally sourced, recognisable ingredients, kind to the planet, cruelty-free, less plastic, refillables, reusables, less waste. Big brands losing market share because consumers are supporting small emerging brands with purpose. Looking at it this way, the personal care category is ripe for serious transformation. Because of this, I've decided to pepper this series with the odd interview with founders of insurgent brands across various personal care categories to see if we can learn from their experiences in a different category, in a different stage of the unavoidable 21st century category overhaul we're seeing across the board. So let's look at an inspiring, emerging brand in personal care who did start out at the kitchen table, but now has national listings across all the major malts and the high street drugstore chains in the UK, has 30 employees and is turning over, I reckon, at least £4 million in market sales. The Little Soap Company is a purpose-driven, vegan, cruelty-free, ethically produced, free-from brand of soaps, solid shampoos and shaving bars using organic ingredients that you'd easily recognise. It was the first and is still the only free-from range on the supermarket shelves and has just started what could be a revolution for the category, a range of solid shampoos and washes to avoid packaging in plastic containers. I spoke to their founder, the award-winning and inspirational entrepreneur Emma Heathcote-James, to start my journey understanding how emerging brands can transform the personal care category and what we can learn from her experience. We also discuss whether it's useful to talk about what it's like being a female founder. Emma Heathcote-James, welcome to Brand Growth Heroes and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's great to see you. How are you doing? Uh, We're good. Really, really good. It's been the most insane four months of my life, the last four months uh, with lockdown. Um, But uh, I think we're coming out the other end slowly, um, blinking and squinting. 
And I would imagine that many of our listeners who have had a difficult time during lockdown are probably thinking, my God, if only I had made the decision to go into soap and not into chilled food bowls or or something similar. How has it been for someone in, in the soap industry during this time? Well, do you remember just before lockdown, we had all the empty shelves that that was insane um, in terms of the supply chain that kind of pushed us to the max. We had, I think it was um, three months of sales dropped into Asda in one week. So wow. all of our forecasts went out the window. Um, we were trying to make, make, make as quick as we can. Um, we were really fortunate that we've only ever manufactured in the UK. So that really helped us that we were able to jump on things and um, increase production. And we had quite a lot of control over it, whereas a lot of other makers were, were making abroad. So that certainly helped. Um, yeah, it's it's been a big experience. Uh, it felt like the last 13 years have kind of led us to now. And who'd have thought when you're writing a business plan, <laughs> that know, this would happen. I can imagine. Making the one thing that can help control COVID. It I is, know. Um, yeah. So tell us, so for, those, for, for our listeners who don't necessarily know the Little Soap Company, um, tell us what your mission is, because you've got a lovely mission, where, what, what type of product ranges uh, you have out there and where we can find them. Of course. So Little Soap Story, that all began back in 2008. Um, I think we could probably say now it was a bit ahead of its time. Um, We had the accolade of producing the first vegan, cruelty-free, organic bar soap that hit the supermarket shelves. And now, uh, almost a decade on, more than that, in many retailers, Little Soap Company still remains the only free-from ethical bar on shelves. That's my Perfectly placed ahead of your time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, when I was talking to the supermarkets in 2012, I was having to explain what organic soap was. And yes, there really was a difference to to kind of like, you know, other well-known brands. Um, And I think the one thing to really underline was back then the soap category, it was so old fashioned, Fiona. It was really dull and stayed. Um, you know, there was nothing exciting there. There's nothing that bring, you know, I was in my 30s, there's nothing to bring a 30 year old to the shelf and be excited to take home to, to use in the shower. Sure. So I think you could kind of say we disrupted it. Um, I just had this real inner belief that customers deserved a natural free from choice. And there wasn't one. There wasn't one. You know, back then, you know, Amazon was a bookstore. You know, yeah. we try and explain this to our son that, you know, Google didn't exist. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a very, very different world. And if you wanted, a natural or an organic bar of soap, you had to go to a specialist health store or you had to go to a farmer's market. And the farmer's markets were great, but you didn't get the same people there regularly. So I didn't have a, a dealer, so started making my own. And that, that was how it all started. Um, I was really naive. I didn't have a business degree or a marketing degree. I, I started off literally on the kitchen table and um, with a career working as a BBC researcher and uh, in the media. And it's the kind of same story you get with so many makers. I just found I love making soap. And very quickly, when you love making something, be it, I don't know, jam or chutney or anything, you you make far too much for friends and family um, and think, what am I going to do with it? So then I ended up on the farmer's markets and getting the brand out there. Um, and because I can't do things by halves, within, well, four years, we were in Waitrose, Sainsbury's Boots, Booth, Tesco, Asda, Morrison's. Uh, we're launching into another couple of big retailers in the next couple of months. Um, and then online, we were with Ocado, Fetch and Amazon. So it wasn't 
a massive hit overnight. It was a slow burn, um, mm. but with a slow burn, it was less risky. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because you said to me before before we started when we were doing our prep calls and the run up to this, that actually a lot of your growth has kind of happened since 2012. And it's been on quite yeah. a steep growth trajectory since then. And if I understand correctly, you won't uh, tell me exactly how much, but your market sales are in and around something over the four million mark. I mean, that's pretty punchy for a category that really uh, didn't exist before you came to it. So what SKUs and ranges do you have out there now in all of those stores? Because that is such a list of stores that you're present in. Yeah, so we've just got four ranges at the moment. Um, we've got the natural, well, sorry, we've got four ranges at the moment. We've got the original organic range, which is where it all started. Mm-hmm. Um, we've then got our naturals range, um, which is a, a lower entry price point. We've then got Eco Warrior, which is our really exciting new launch. Um, Eco Warrior is is putting everything that's traditionally in a bottle or a tub or a tube or a pot into a, a soap bar. So it's all about saving the planet. It's about eco-friendly. It's about, there's a wonderful quote, Fiona, of um, someone said, oh, it's only one plastic straw, said 8 billion people. And it's like, oh, it's only brilliant. one bar of soap, you know, it's only okay. one bottle, but actually it's all about making little changes. And if we all made tiny little changes, we can make a massive big difference between us. So that's Eco Warrior. And then we've got our pet range. So uh, that's called Little Beast. And that's we've genius. Got our own. Genius. Well, Little Beast, Little Beast is a funny one because that kind of like was created probably 11, 12 years, no, sorry, 12 years ago. Um, and I created a Little Beast pet shampoo bar. Right. And that's the kind of mainstay flagship of the range. And 12 years ago, nobody knew what a shampoo bar was. I, I'd been to America and saw it. Well, that's a really great idea. Okay. And I back then was looking after guide dog puppies and got fed up spending so much money on organic shampoo for them because I only use that on me I'm only going to use that on my dog so I'm one of those nutty people you know and there's a lot of us about it's a great big market as we all know so so I created this pet shampoo bar thinking it was really really clever and back in the day when I used to do the farmers markets and the kind of equestrian shows I used to do horse bricks as well so um yeah funny that was ahead of its time. But now everyone knows what a shampoo bar is. Well, so that's having its day again. You'd be surprised because I only understood what a shampoo bar and I'd only seen a shampoo bar for the first time when you cropped up in my LinkedIn feed and I saw your Eco yeah. Warrior packaging. It's just gorgeous. If anyone hasn't uh, seen Eco Warrior brand, please go and check out. It's www.littlesoapcompany.co.uk. Really gorgeous brand. And I, I hadn't come across a shampoo bar, probably because I've just had babies um, for the last few years and I haven't really been looking at um, at anything other than nappies and, and all of that malarkey. <laughs> but yeah, shampoo bar, there's a shaving bar, there is, what else is there? A sensitive face exfoliating bar, exfoliating bar, bar. Yeah. just gorgeous. And and when I thought to myself, right, what's a solid shampoo bar, a solid conditioner as well. And I realised then all of the bottles in my shower you know, if you take me, the kids, the husband, uh, whether it's uh, me having a, a shampoo and a conditioner for colour, the kids having one that's, you know, maybe tangle free or a two in one and himself having one that's got coconut in it because he loves the smell of coconut. We've got about <laughs> six bottles on the go yeah. and they are all going into the bin on a regular basis. Um, and that yeah. just feels crazy. But if I hadn't seen the shampoo bar and the conditioner bar, I wouldn't have even probably thought about it. So, so we don't have a conditioner bar, just oh, stepping in, we've got a shampoo bar. No, we, we've started developing several ones. Um, and that was the plan was to have a shampoo and conditioner. But I was very principled about it because I do not believe you can create a conditioner bar that actually works. Okay, and I tell didn't me want more. It. And the supermarkets were begging for it and saying, please, can we have shampoo and conditioner? And I said, no, I'm not putting my name on something that doesn't work. And you're right. 
Eco Warrior is so Instagrammable and it's it's really worked. Um, it's kind of pulling in a totally different audience and it's sort of accidentally become a separate brand aside from Little Soap Company. Yeah. Um, and it has got an entirely different audience. It's very kind of Gen Z. It's very millennial. Um, it's very kind of like, you know, Greta. It's about what can we do to, to save the planet? And if I'm really honest, and I start whispering, like, <laughs> of course, everyone can hear this. If I'm really honest, that was what I wanted Little Soap Company to be 13 years ago. Okay. But it was too ahead of its time. Right. And people didn't get it. And Little Soap Company kind of accidentally somehow morphed into this sort of, you know, lovely luxury brand. Obviously luxury, but it's in the supermarkets. It's, it's at a good price point. Um, and I feel a bit awkward talking about the planet. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, it isn't right quite the right space for it if that makes sense right. so eco warrior has given me that platform okay. where we really can shout about it and there was one major supermarket we were looking at um putting a, 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 set, a brand new range in they wanted a, a separate range they commissioned from us and it was going to be called it was all, all focusing on sustainable palm oil and right at the 11th hour um they phoned up and said you know what we, we just can't call it that we're just really worried that you know shouting about it being sustainable is it's just going to highlight all the other soaps on the shelf aren't sustainable and i'm like uh-huh <laughs> and they're going but we can't have that you know we're going to have to change it to another name and that was why the naturals range came out um literally that name was kind of created overnight and we had to change all the packaging oh, God. so you know it is sort of it is slightly i say ahead of its time isn't the right word it's kind of like on the brink of a change the whole aim was to make a different range for every need state and every budget. Um, and through time, you know, it's certainly with Eco Warrior and with the Naturals range, it was for busy people to wash well, but with a conscience. And we wanted people to, we wanted to make it easy for people to, to make that very, very small change. Um, it's the same thing with with uh, palm oil. So palm oil is a huge, big grey area. And, you know, every so often on social media, we get kind of born free people jumping on the page going, you kill orangutans. And it's like, wow, if you actually did your research, I'm married to a leading conservationist whose whole thing is about apes and saving the planet. So orangs are really, really massive in our house. And it's for that reason, from day one, I've only ever used RSPO certified sustainable palm oil. Mm. And this is a really interesting topic because I refuse to fall into that trap of easy messaging. It would be so easy for me to go palm free and everyone to go, oh, brilliant, save, save the monkeys. Actually, to go palm free is the worst thing that can happen because if you replace the palm crop with something else, it won't be as fast harvesting. So you'll be making even a bigger space of devastation of the rainforests. So the whole point, and I'm putting this very big topic in a very small kind of standout here, I'm aware of that, yeah. and I will talk you know, to the moon and back about it. But it was, in my opinion, the business of a business is to, is to help improve the world. And if I was going palm free, that wouldn't be the case. So it was a difficult decision and it's been hard. And I only ever wanted to make a bar of soap and make it easy for people to go in and make little changes and, and have a, a really good quality bar of soap in their supermarket shop. But suddenly we've become a massive educator, which I didn't sign up for that. I didn't expect that. And that, that's been a, an interesting curve. <laughs> to the, to the, the, journey, the companies certainly. that are currently kind of the incumbent brands in those categories that I mentioned, you know, are we really by buying the, and I, you know, I can name these things. I'm not asking you to name them, but like by buying the, the Pantens and the Head and Shoulders and the this soap and the that soap, is it really that damaging to the planet? Yeah. Because I think this is the bit that I'd like <laughs> to understand. To yeah, I'd like to understand. I'd like to understand more because 
I, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just really uneducated about this. I know that the plastic bottles and I know there's probably some petroleum products in there. But I'd really like to know, a bit like with food additives back in the day, you know, with food, we all know what's bad, you know, and it's talked about a lot. But I don't feel that this is talked about as much, just how bad a lot of these chemicals are, both for our body, for the planet and then the plastic containers they come in. I think a lot of them are just so unnecessary and they're really cheap synthetic fillers. Okay. And one thing I've always refused to put in our soap is anything synthetic. You know, even in terms of fragrance, we could make the soap a lot cheaper if I put synthetic fragrance in. Yeah. But it's like making a really beautiful meal and then putting synthetics in. Why would you do that? Okay. You know, you've got really beautiful food, you know, re- and all of our, you know, ingredients that are kind of food grade ingredients. Why would I then put a synthetic fragrance in that kind of catches in the back of your throat? You get no aromatherapy benefits from it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, I know if someone has a shower before bed using one of our lavender bars, they will get all of that therapeutic effect from it. So it's a real you know, experience. We, we've, yeah, we're cruelty free, we're certified vegan, tick, 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 tick. So it's having that trust, isn't it? And I think it's it's having a brand that's transparent. It's having a brand that you absolutely do know what's in it. And all of our ingredients, legally, we have to put the Latin words on the back for the Mm -hmm. inky, but we also put the English in as well because we're not hiding anything. You know, and most of those things, Joe Public could look at the ingredients and understand it in Latin. You know, it's not difficult. So it's just like, you know how Jamie Oliver went into the food industry and totally changed it. Yes. And, you know, you can pick up a loaf of bread and it's got you know 50 ingredients in, or you can make your own sourdough that's got three or four. It's just the same with it's cosmetics. Same. Yeah. There's so exactly many parallels, the aren't there, between uh, the food we eat and the things that we buy in, in the supermarket to put on our skin or on our hair, you know, whether it's the way in which they are. There's a number of different ranges. They've almost got flavours, varieties. There's a lots of, of, you know, foodie flavours in soaps and body washes yes. and stuff. And what ingredients you use matter, whether you use plastic matter, like it, it's there's so many similarities, even back to the fact that, you know, you start off as an artisan soap maker and you're selling in a farmer's market or you're, <laughs> ma- you're making it on your kitchen table and selling it in a farmer's yeah, market. Most food yeah. startups start in that way as well. Absolutely. So what is your vision for the company then now, now that you've got to where you've got to, where would you like to be in, in five years time or 10 years time? Oh, you know, what? We, we have got so, so much has happened just over the last year. So last year, uh, 2019 was all about building a team. Um, building a team, a really solid team and putting systems and processes into place okay. so that we don't fall over. Um, so that, that's been, that's been a really interesting. And you have about 30 um, people now I hear. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, we do. That's it's, a um, fat, fat, really <laughs> solid team, isn't it? It's, and you know what? It's once I started employing people who were so much better than me, the magic started happening okay. and I don't understand half of what goes on. Okay. You know, it's, it's just, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. But to be fair to you, managing 30 people, that is a really big ask for anybody. You know, I, I definitely could not manage 30 people. So what do you find helps you do that? So having really good people who manage the people underneath them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, you can get that out of a book, Fiona. That's <laughs> no, I know, but I was just wondering personally for you, because I mean, that is like, you know, I, 30 I found, people is a, is a big it. team. So yeah, it's no, it, it is interesting. I found it really hard and nobody can prepare you for that because obviously at the start, I did everything, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily well in all areas. I'm completely number blind. And, and now we know there's a word for it. You're dyscalculic, which is like dyslexia, but with numbers. My mum so, is that. Awful. I can't remember any number whatsoever. Yeah. So I understand what we're looking at, but don't trust me with numbers. So sure. very early on, that was the first um, 
kind of paid member of staff I had was finance okay. and they kind of built it from there upwards um, and it's having a really solid team that I can rely on there because I don't trust myself and you know if I was on Dragon's Den I'd be the one there getting completely tongue-tied um, so yes the hardest thing for me was not doing anything and it was my PA actually who told me about one of her other bosses who said if you keep stepping in everyone else will step back and it was such a great piece of advice mm. because I'll say, oh, could you just do this? Oh, yes, but you, you could do it so much better. So I do it. And, you know, it, it's, it, there's no accountability. I'm not passing that responsibility on. I found that really hard. And also I wanted to jump in. I didn't want to be the kind of boss in my ivory tower going, you do this and you do this and you do this. Sure. And I'll just sit back and watch you all. I found that really hard. So it's been a massive learning journey for me. I've worked closely with the university um, at Aston, Aston University. Um, I jumped on one of their... 10 KSB courses, the 10,000 small business courses and the Goldman Sachs course. That was amazing. That turned the business from the kitchen table business to what it is today. Okay. And even now I'm on their productivity um, three people course, which has just been, again, transformational. Your vision then for the company, where would you like to see it in, in five or 10 years? Oh, gosh, I think... I think obviously we've experienced a lot of growth from spreading the availability mm-hmm. of the right range in the right store for the right customer. Um, and I think moving forwards, we've got to, to kind of change our slant a bit. And we need to be led by the customer need state. I think at the moment we've been doing it of what we feel is needed, not what the actual customer feels is needed. Because the customer didn't know they needed shampoo bars. The customer didn't know they needed shave bars. So we need to keep an eye on how the customer shopping and how they're going to shop in the future. I don't believe this is a fad. Genuinely, I really don't. I think this this is, it's going to change. Um, oh, absolutely. We, we've noticed that, uh, sorry. No, I'm just going to say, I mean, I think the category is going to change utterly in the same way that, you know, the juice category was full of all sorts of uh, from concentrate juice and then Innocent came along, uh, yes. you know, or or the chocolate dessert company. And how company. Tropicana was in the fridge to make it look fresh. Exactly. Or, you know, I remember <laughs> yeah. at the beginning of Goo, you just had some uh, Cadbury's chocolate mousses, you know, uh, split plaque chocolate mousses yeah. or crack and snap, as we used to call them. And that was really it. And then Goo came along and changed that category. You know, in Ireland, Cully and Sully changed the soup category or Covent Garden in, in the UK. But nobody yeah. seems to have done that when you walk down that personal care aisle. I'm reminded of, have you been, well, before lockdown happened and you're travelling and you're in WH Smith in an airport somewhere and there is this traditional confectionery aisle where you've got all the Cadbury's hanging bags and you've got all the Mars stuff Mm -hmm. and and you've got the the bars and the hanging bags. And it's really struck me recently, well, before lockdown when I was travelling, how old fashioned that looks yeah, you yeah. know, those, the colours, yeah. the brands, the logos, it's yeah. really dated. And when I walk down the aisle, the shampoo aisle in Boots or in Tesco, I feel the same. You know, it's really dated to me. Yeah. And when yes, I see is. your products, I see something that is way more in touch with today's consumer and what they want and way more in, in touch with, um, with what the category needs in terms of uh, driving some growth. So I think you're perfectly placed for that. I think it's, it's, it goes back to transparency, doesn't it? And, you know, especially with millennials and Gen Z, Gen Z it's all about that transparency, that truth in, in the product. And, you know, we, we have got heritage. You know, genuinely, I started on the kitchen table. I'm a real life person that, you know, steps out behind the logo. Um, you know, I did hand make it. We still sell those handmade bars um, exclusively online. Oh, we still you? make them in Broadway. Wow. And usually it's me making them. We made loads of lockdown and sort of like days out. So you know, on, on a Saturday, drag the family in. Um, 
So it, it is it is about that. It's, it's provenance, isn't it? And a lot of those other brands, they might have been around for a long time, but it's they don't necessarily have a story around them and they're not trying to change the world. And, you know, it goes back to that. I think anyone with a business has got responsibility. You know, we've, we, we need to change our car. It's my responsibility to buy an electric car. It feels wrong to do anything else. Sure. And I think, you know, when you're in a position of leadership, you've got to be the change mm-hmm. and you can't expect anybody else to follow if you're not doing it yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think maybe the timing right now is is really key, isn't it? Because all of a sudden the the in the air du temps is, you know, whether it's Greta or COVID even, but you're really questioning yes. your behavior and what you bring into your house and what you put into your body and what you um, put on your skin. And obviously hand washing and washing has become such a part of our lives. Have you had any requests from uh, consumers or particularly I'm thinking schools because I know that all of the kids in the schools here are complaining massively of chapped hands and, oh, you know. Yeah, you see, I can't bring that up. Yes, we, we have... So many customers have come to us with sore hands. Um, and yeah, with all the increased hand washing, yeah. that is an issue. If you're using detergent, which frankly, all those other soaps, the dull and boring ones that we talked about that have been on the, on the shelf sure. for ages, you are going to have irritation um, from them. So actually, you know, and you know how in washrooms you often get like the liquid soap and then you get the moisturizer next to it. Yeah. And we got loads of people going, why don't you do a moisturizer? We, we do just to settle some of the, <laughs> the accounts we've got because they begged for them, but it's not something we're going to be carrying on. Okay. And it was like, we don't do a moisturizer because you don't need it. And, you know, if you're washing your hands with detergent that is stripping all the oils off it, yes, you need to lather yourself in moisturizer. Once you use our soaps, you won't need to use a body moisturizer because right. you it's are washing with off. a pure bar of oil. So it's one of those things that you, you need to use it to kind of, to get it, I can sit there and talk about how wonderful it is and how it will change your skin. But it's, it, it is. It's once you use it, it's like Apple Mac. You don't go back. Well, I, I'm absolutely adoring uh, my showers and baths at the moment using your soaps. It is just a gorgeous, gorgeous experience. The smell, the feeling on your skin. It's just wonderful. So thanks so much again for the gorgeous no, box no, you no. sent me. But Emma, the vision. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we want this company to be in five to ten years? Okay, so when I when I first made my first batch in 20, 2008, um, on my personal Facebook page, it's there, kind of time stamped. And I said, um, I, I wrote this little quote next to it, and I said, my aim, quite simply, is to make pure natural soap accessible to all, which was always my aim. Okay. Now we're in all of those retailers, and we're only in the UK at the moment. Yeah. So we've got a long way to go. So we've changed it to go. My aim now is to make pure soap the norm, not the niche. Oh, brilliant. Okay. So that, that's obvious. So you can even translate um, that into commercial terms quite easily because you could, I'm just thinking out loud here, you could say, right, if it's the norm, not the niche, then we need X percent household penetration and we need Y percent shelf and we need Z yes. percent. You know, you, you can really change turn that into market share um, objectives and penetration objectives. So that's quite interesting because then you start looking at, okay, if we were going to get this much penetration, whose needs do we need to satisfy? How are we going to satisfy them in terms of innovation and price? And it goes back to who's our customer and being led by the customer. Exactly that. Speaking of being led by the customer, um, one of the interviews you did earlier on this year, uh, I really enjoyed listening to the fact that your early market research was done in other people's bathrooms by accident. <laughs> that makes me sound like a right weirdo. No, I know, but, but the reason the reason I bring this up is, you know, a lot of our listeners love listening to these um, episodes because of the weird and wonderful tips they get. And they would never think 
that getting that close to their consumer is the way to really understand their consumer's needs. And that's what you did. You went yeah. right into the bathrooms by accident and saw what they needed, yeah. didn't you? Well, tell tell us about that. <laughs> so wind me up, Fiona, because I, I, this is one of my pet, pet kind of stories and I can go on and on and on. So my, my grandmother loved soap and as a family, we always used to use soap that um, her and my grandpa brought back off holiday. Grandpa was a shipping agent. So Gran wouldn't fly. So Gran always used to tell everyone she traveled the world and grandpa would always chip in and go, you've traveled the ports of the world, my love. Okay. So, you know, she didn't want for anything. But the one thing that she always used to bring back from holiday was bars of soap. And all her friends would buy her, you know, florists and other other sorts of soap. But Gran really liked the kind of, I now know, it is like a natural bar of handmade soap. And, you know, she had the most amazing skin. She never wore makeup. She was just beautiful. And when she died, she'd always give us soap. So as a family, we always had soap offer. You know, we never went out and bought it. And when she died, we were clearing out her wardrobe. And, you know, we opened up the wardrobe, pulled the kind of clothes out. And there was just like waist high brown bags of soap, hmm. which, you know, mom and I gave away to so many people. There was still loads left. And it probably lasted us about two and a half years after she died. And that was the kind of this moment that I suddenly had to buy a bar of soap. And I'd never bought a bar of soap in my life. I was in my late 20s. And I went into the local supermarket and picked up a couple of boxes of soap there or, you know, shrink wrap soap there. Got home, used it in a shower. It was horrible. Didn't really think much of it. Started trying to make my own. And I didn't know what I was doing. Remember, the internet wasn't what it was today. I just got a couple of books from a charity shop telling me to use peanut sure. oil and other things that are really, you know, easy to find in America. Um, and then I had my bathroom um, change around and, and it was meant to be this week long job and living in a really old 16th century house. One job becomes five other jobs and it turned out the floor, the floorboards needed changing. And oh, it was six weeks without a bathroom um, and a toilet. So the church in the village gave me the keys so I could go and use their public toilets, which was lovely. But I just stopped drinking at sort of <laughs> mid afternoon. So I didn't have to go through the graveyard to have my kind of oh, like gross. Night wee. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone in the village was really lovely. And they were going, oh, this is just really rotten for you. Because I was going to the leisure centre to have a shower and wash my hair and stuff. And they created this little village rotor that I could go and uh, have a shower. So obviously I was making my own soap. Um, and obviously I was standing in sort of lots of people's showers in the village. And yeah, you realise that, you know, Mrs. A down the road who had terrible um, psoriasis um, on her elbows and knees and stuff, was using a very well-known shower gel that was bright green. And, you know, there was another family who had loads of, you know, loads of little kids and they were using another brand, which I would never have bought. And it was just really shocking. And it became a bit of a joke of like, I turn up with my my towel and my bar of soap. And of course, it's not something you chat about with your friends, what you wash with. Yeah. So I became the kind of village joke of, oh, Emma, I go into the village pub and they go, oh, what would you like? A dry white wine or a bar of soap? Uh -huh. it, it was just a thing. But I learned so much. And yeah, when I gave Mrs. A down the road some of my soap once I perfected the recipe, her, her psoriasis was so much better because she was naturally moisturizing it. She stopped using E45. And, you know, I would I would go as far as to say it pretty much 90% cleared up. So inadvertently, what we put on our skin quite often is creating the problem. We just don't know that. Or what we're washing with is creating the problem. A lot of people are blessed and have absolutely fine skin and they're really hardy and they can use anything and that's fine. But actually, there's a massive percentage of the population that can't use fragrant soap. Sure. Um, and it's the synthetics. So quite often moving to ours, which hasn't got synthetics in and the essential oils absolutely helps. Or we've got another range or within the organic range and within the naturals range, we have um, perfume bars. And again, with my early business plan, I never thought they'd sell like they do. 
And originally, Waitrose asked us to create an olive oil bar. It did so well, they asked us to create an avocado bar. And they're our kind of superfood bars. And they're just beautiful, plain bars of soap. They don't smell. The first thing someone does when you hand them a bar is just put it to their nose. So once you got over the fact it doesn't smell, but people who know they can't use fragrant stuff, it's just been a lifesaver. And, you know, the reviews and the messages we get are just so lovely. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, then please do share it on social media and take a minute or two to write a review on iTunes. It would make a big difference in allowing us to interview even more super guests with great advice that can transform how you do business. Well, I'm going to go online and buy one of those um, avocado and one of those olive oil bars because stupidly about four years ago, and you you think, what kind of idiot is she? But I was uh, washing my hair with the Pantene one that has her, I don't know which, the LV one that for coloured and, and um, yeah. bleached hair. And I used the uh, suds from it to wash my face. Right. Oh, and wow. whatever I did since then, I have dermatitis all over my nose, yeah. under my nose bits and on my chin. And it means we'll that send I, you some Fiona. I can't, It'll be transformative. I, I genuinely can't use any moisturiser, any soap or any makeup or it flares up. And that's really yeah. hard because when you're, you hit 44 and you start getting proper wrinkles, you're thinking, Jesus, I just want to put on loads of makeup, loads of really expensive yeah, creams. Hide it. <laughs> yeah, can't do it. If I put on any creams on my face, it just flares up again. So that's really annoying. And that was, I think that was my wake up call to what's in this stuff. But it's, it's so, it's not quite, you know, it's, it's not uncommon. It's so, so common. And yeah, I think... It's, it is interesting. And I think, again, going back to our growth, we attribute our growth with providing the customer with what they need, yeah. you know, and it, it is something they need. And I never, ever thought that. And it's it's it's, have you, it's finding these evolving tr- trends. Have you planned to go back into people's bathrooms, like a cross section of the population's bathrooms or maybe a cross section of the top of the mass market's bathrooms in the, in the next while? And that could be really interesting to do because it was what you kind of started your journey and Yes. to fuel the um, understanding of the population's sharing needs going forward. Well, do you maybe. know what? I think our customer isn't who you perhaps think it initially is. Okay, who is it um, then? And we've been doing a lot of work on that. It's not about affluence. So our, our naturals range is £2.50. Our organic range is three ninety nine, And our eco-warrior range is £4.50. So it's a lot of money for a bar of soap when yeah. you can go, you know, a couple of, you know, facings down and you can buy four for a pound it's a totally different customer. So our customer is not about affluence. It's about lifestyle. And it's about that will to make a choice and that will to make a difference. And we found that our customers are those people who choose where to spend their money. So be it millennials, be it Gen Z, it's not necessarily people with a massive, you know, disposable income. It's, I think the words progressive customers. So that's what we say. Our our customers are progressive. Mm. So Eco Warrior is very much about the eco-conscious. It's saving the planet. It's people kind of our age. It's people who want to make little differences who are busy, but they know that little difference will make a big difference. Um, And probably also they want to spend that money to have that experience in the shower. Not only the intellectual knowledge that they're doing something good for the planet or they're they're not doing something that would be bad for the planet, but actually that they can do that and really enjoy the experience at the same time. Yes. And I think going back to whole COVID thing, we know the COVID spending on household goods is pretty much recession proof. You know, people washing their hands aren't going to keep washing their hands with something that makes their hands irritated and sore and chapped and, and horrible. Um, so yeah, sure. it's, yeah, it's, it's not that customer consumers are going to spend more on higher options, but actually they will if, if there's something 
they get back for it. So last question, because I've kept you um, 45 minutes at this stage and I know that you've got um, something coming up after after our call. No, it's fine. It's fine. You're very good. Um, female, being a female founder in fast moving consumer goods, FMCG, any thoughts or experiences? And the reason I ask this and I struggle with asking this question because I don't ask the men that I interview, you know, What's it like being a man in 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 FMCG? <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you why I ask it, Emma. It's because I've actually reached out to so many female founders to come on the show, and I find it difficult to get a response. They seem to be less willing to get back to me on it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're only the second uh, female founder that I've had on the show, and that's not only is it embarrassing. I mean, it really is embarrassing because I think, God, what do people think? But it, I suppose it's just a reflection of the way the labour market is in the industry and who's at the top of these companies. And I was wondering whether you had anything to share in terms of what it's been like being a woman or what it is like being a woman at the top of your company in your industry. <laughs> it's a difficult question. Yeah, it's such a difficult question to answer because I don't know what it would be like if I was a man. Sure. So, so I've only got my own experience of it. And yeah, 52% of the population is female. So therefore, we should have more women leaders. But then, of course, women are childbearing and doing other things. Yeah. So you know, it's not ever going to be reflected across the board. Um, does it matter I'm a woman doing what I'm doing? I didn't think it did. Does it matter that I'm gay and that I'm a business leader? Again, I never ever thought that was an issue until literally last year, my wife turned around and said, why aren't you doing gay pride? You mm-hmm. know, why aren't you changing the logos of Eco Warrior and of, of Little Soap Company? And I'm going, because what I do in my private life is completely private. Sure. And actually, you know, it's not. And she really made me think about it. It's one of those things I'll, I'll admit that she was right on. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I really worry that in the past, my non-acknowledgement could have been perceived as being really secretive. Like I had something to hide and actually it was the opposite. It was like, that's the business. This is me. The sure. two are completely separate, but actually I am a part of the business and I'm a part of that story and I shouldn't hide anything. And yeah, it, that 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 was my admission for it, and I'm a bit embarrassed about it. And it's like it's like parenting, isn't it? There's no right or wrong, and there's no rule book of how to create a brand and and create a business. And if I was doing this all over again, I wasn't secretive, but I wouldn't have hidden it, even though I wasn't hiding it on purpose. Sure, no, I get you. And I think that there aren't as many women leading businesses, and there aren't, you know, even less LGBTQ, you know, business leaders. And I actually wonder, are they all like me, just keeping their heads down, not thinking it's got anything to do with the business? But how it's it's, it's like, you know, the Black Lives Matters, isn't it? You know, you have to be the change and you can't be what you can't see. And when we did the Pride thing in June, it was our best ever, you know, Instagram post. You know, we've had letters, we've had postcards, we've had, you know, inboxes of people going, oh, my goodness, you know, not we've talked about it a lot in the past but it was quite a big post oh we hadn't got you know hadn't realized wow 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 and I think it is that you can't be what you can't see and it's like do you know what I am a woman and do you know what I am gay and you can be successful you know <laughs> it's, it's yeah. okay um so yeah it's it's being that I don't know it's, it's important to have female leaders in visible roles isn't it that carry that decision making power I think, and I it think is. it's key it's key to transform the culture and I think creating maybe a safe space for women to authentically be themselves without that fear of judgment. Because, yeah. you know, you and I, all of us, we're the same. 
Um, and yeah, you asking me to come and do this. I listened to all those other podcasts and thought, heavens, what are you talking to me for? A, I'm not food. So I'm going to be like, you know, how does that fit in? And actually, gosh, you know, this is my accidental business. You know, I can't sit there and say, oh, I did this, this, and this, and kept this business plan. And we got to, you know, X million in two years but because you, it, it wasn't like that. Yeah, but you did, but you did. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because you were so personable, you know, in all of your posts. And I remember you did one post about, I think it was a, an interview in a newspaper and there were some horrible comments at the end of it and you were really <laughs> yeah, honest. Yeah, you were really the comments in the mail. <laughs> but you were so honest about how hurt you were and how yeah, eye-opening it was for you. Because I had a double-barreled name. For God's sake. I haven't got time to socially climb anyway. But, but I think what I liked was, what appealed to me was you were so honest about how you felt about it. And, you know, you're running this business. You've got it up to over four million. It looks fabulous. You know, you've got 30 people working for you. And you're still managing to be a mum and a wife and uh, very glamorous. And I think that's great. And I wish there were more female founders out there that I could talk to who would give other younger women the role models that we were talking about. I, I think that that's really lovely. And I think just the, the one thing to kind of end it on is that there is this weird element of becoming this, I don't know, accidental beacon for women in business. And I, I never set out with that aim. And I'm, I'm fine with it now. I never used to be. I, I was always, you know, that imposter thing. But for me, it's not about being a woman. It's about, I had a hobby. I spotted a gap in the market. I made it happen. And from day one, we've been led by the customer. And it's it's about grit and determination. It's not about being a woman. It doesn't matter that I'm yeah. a female. To sure. me, what matters is having that idea, following through with it, no matter what. And it's a blinking hard roller coaster. And there's some amazing days and there's some blinking tough days. And I've lost my house. And, you know, it's like there's lots of things to get the business to where it is today. Do I regret any of it? No, because, you know, I really feel we're making a difference. And that's what matters. So it doesn't matter my gender, my skin, or what sexuality you are. It's following that passion and that belief. And I think that overrides being a woman, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And on that note, that was a really wonderful way to end. Really inspiring. Thank you so much, Emma, for coming on the show today. Um, It was fabulous to talk to you and to hear your story and the business story. And we wish you the very, very best of luck. And hopefully we will speak to you again in the future when you can come back on the show and tell us how you've been getting on and where you've got to. We're really excited to know what the future holds. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you. 